Edison cylinder number 95, made of wax, containing 100 grooves, revolving at 160 revs per minute, lasting for two minutes, and was recorded in 1896. It was among the first commercial records ever to be issued. Good afternoon. Many people think of the flat disc as having been invented much later than the cylinder phonograph. It is true that the phonograph was invented first, but the gramophone and phonograph started the commercial race neck and neck, and the original and what was thought the best turned out the eventual loser. As early, well in fact as late as 1856, because uh, people had the opportunity to invent recording much earlier, but uh, as late as 1856, Leon Scott had attached a hog's bristle to a diaphragm and held this primitive stylus against a drum blackened with soot. This drum was set revolving, and the diaphragm made to vibrate by shouting or singing. Now, the bristle wobbled in accordance with the type of vibrations received, and the drum was left with a series of distinct squiggles. Scott was thus the first to record sound waves, but he could not reproduce them. What Edison did 21 years later was to substitute for the hog's bristle a hard-cutting stylus and aluminium foil for the sooty surface. The stylus recorded a series of dents in the foil, and by running a stylus over the dents a second time, sound waves were again set up on the diaphragm and sound actually reproduced. The following year, the Illustrated London News, in its issue of August 3rd, 1878, likened the miracle of the phonograph to a captured echo. To quote, The effect is startling enough when from some hillside hollow or ivied ruin, echo gives back unexpectedly an answering cry. But what if the echoes of shouts and cries, laughter and snatches of song, tongue-tied at their birth, and lying cribbed, cabined, and confined for ages, like embalmed mummies, should at a touch break their enforced silence and leap into vocal life with precisely the same cadences and tones in which they were originally uttered, and this not only once but a hundred times, yet nothing less, nay, infinitely more than this, has been achieved.
Other reports spoke of the incredible lifelike reproduction, using the sort of praise we would now reserve for hi-fi and stereophonic recording. Realism is indeed a relative term. In France, the Pathy brothers, who owned an inn, bought a phonograph to attract extra custom. The machine proved so popular, the brothers went into the recording business full-time and were the first to record, if not the most successfully, the voice in speech and song of Enrico Caruso. Edison left his invention untouched for almost ten years. Otherwise, we might now have the voice of Jenny Lind and the piano of Franz Liszt. Edison had contracts to fulfil, and in the interval, he developed the incandescent lamp. He was spurred to further action on the phonograph when he learnt that Bell and Tainter were in the process, process of developing their own apparatus using wax cylinders. At the same time, Emil Berliner was experimenting with flat plates or discs, which incorporated a significant new feature. Instead of the needle vibrating up and down, like a sewing machine needle, hill and dale fashion as it's called, Berliner employed lateral vibration, using the sides or walls of the groove instead of the floor. It's the method still used today. Making up for lost time, Edison often worked for days at a stretch with only snatches of sleep, and the new Edison improved phonograph was ready for sale in 1888. Up to this, the machine had had little commercial application. To gain publicity, the great and the glorified were invited to record messages. Among them, Florence Nightingale, who said, When I am no longer even a memory, just a name, I hope my voice brings to history the great work of my life. God bless my dear old comrades of Balaclava and bring them safe to shore. And among the first historic music items was trumpeter Kenneth Landry sounding the bugle used at Waterloo and Balaclava. I am Trumpeter Landry, one of the surviving trumpeters in charge of the Light Brigade at Balaclava. I am now going to sound the bugle that was sounded at Waterloo and sound the charge as was sounded at Balaclava on that very same bugle. On the 25th of October, 1854. Record made at Eden House, Northumberland Avenue, London, August the 2nd, 1890. <laughs> 
William Gladstone recorded his congratulations to Edison, but as demand for this cylinder far exceeded supply, many an opportunist and even employees of the Edison Company made imitations. Recordings purporting to be of the GOM, but without a trace of a North Country accent, may be discounted as fakes. It was intended that the phonograph be used as a dictating machine, uh, replacing the stenographer. Advertisements pointed out that unlike the fallible and human stenographer, the phonograph could only repeat what had been said to it, and that you could dictate to it at any time, and that the machine needed no holiday, nor would it grumble at overwork. Well, stenographers grumbled at being put out of a job and formed a lively opposition. Besides, mechanical difficulties made the machine an expensive flop. The electric motor had to be replaced by clockwork, and by the time this and other difficulties had been ironed out, Berliner had his disc machine ready. Nevertheless, Edison had two initial advantages. He was the original inventor of sound recording, and extensive use of the phonograph by showmen in penny arcades, and a craze for Nickelodeons made his name more widely known than that of any of his competitors. The first cylinders also sounded better than the first discs. By the turn of the century, cheap or relatively cheap machines brought records into the homes of hundreds of thousands and then millions. And through the scratches and screeches and the sometimes deafening hiss, as no doubt you've heard, could be heard the popular songs of the day. Any guesses as to the singer? Well, it was the immortal Mary Lloyd. The early years of the recording industry were beset with litigation. The manufacturers of cylinders greatly feared the progress being made by the disc trade and had an injunction brought against disc and gramophone manufacture. In 1902, the problem was solved by the litigants pooling their patents. Berliner contributed a sound box guided by a spiral groove, the Columbia Company, a stylus vibrating laterally and engraving a groove of even depth, and the American Graphophone Company, 
wax as a medium of recording. From the start, disc manufacturers concentrated on so-called classical music, aiming at an audience whose pocket could match expensive tastes. In 1903, the Victor Talking Machine Company brought out the first in a long and highly successful series of Red Seal issues. But there may have been treachery in the camp, because Columbia stole some of their limelight by issuing only a few weeks earlier the Grand Opera series. Serenade by Cepili, sung by Tino Campanari. starters attached to owning a gramophone because of its closer and more frequent association with opera began to eat into Edison's reputation. And there were, besides, inherent drawbacks to the phonograph. The groove of a gramophone record is sufficiently robust to guide the needle from the rim to the centre as it revolves. The phonograph, because it was made of wax, requires the addition of a thread screw which guides the reproducer or stylus across the cylinder while the stylus actually floats in the groove. Duplication of flat discs became a simple matter once a master matrix had been made and copies could be run off almost indefinitely. Copying from and onto a cylindrical surface, though possible, proved far more difficult. Edison competed against the increasing popularity of the disc for many years. In 1980, he produced the Amberol cylinder with 200 grooves, which played for four minutes. This flopped and was followed by the blue Amberol, made of a hard-wearing, indestructible composition, reinforced with a plaster of Paris interior, and some of the biggest names in American opera. The recording quality was extremely high, as was the artistry, but 1912 was too late. The disc had the market captured. Later, Edison did recognise the supremacy of the gramophone and brought out his diamond discs, but they were never popular. Cylinders were continued for a declining but faithful coterie. Even electrical cylinders were made after 1925, and production of Edison cylinders struggled on till 1929. This is what Lucrezia Bori sounded like on Edison Cylinder number 28122, made in London in 1910. Simi Chiamano Mimi from Labo M. 
Despite Edison's efforts to attract the stars, opera recording in the early years was dominated by the Victor Talking Machine Company, the gramophone company in Europe, Colombia, and in a smaller way, Phonotipia, which was based in Italy. Unfortunately, this last company, Phonotipia, went for a six, but not before producing better results technically than any of its rivals. The singer in the pre-electric studio had to back away from the horn for strong and high notes and move forward for weak low notes in order to achieve any sort of a balanced result. Too close and the noise was shattering, too far away and the singer sounded as if wrapped up in a blanket. Recording at the best of times was a trying experience. But this phonotipia disc of the tenor Giuseppe Anselmi singing Quando le Serri Placido from Louisa Miller, which was cut before 1910, lends, I think, support to Sir Thomas Beecham's contention that in 30 or 40 years' recording, uh, standards are not really improved. And by the way, if you listen carefully between the verses of this record, you can hear Anselmi quietly clearing his throat. And with this record, I say goodbye.